Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Is renting a home really a complete waste of money? You've heard all the sayings, why pay the landlord's mortgage when you can pay your own? Or, if you're renting, you're just throwing money away. The truth is, it's possible for a renter to end up with a larger net worth than someone who buys a home, but practically speaking, ownership has worked out better for most people over the long run. To see why owning isn't the only long-term option that can make sense, let's start from the very beginning. When you rent, you're not throwing your money away, you're getting something in exchange for it a place to live. You are renting space for a period of time that just has no future value after your payments stop. When you buy, you're actually still renting, but instead of renting space, you're renting money. The difference is that the money you've borrowed is used to buy an asset that will hopefully appreciate. You also happen to be able to live in it. A mortgage payment consists of a blend of rent on the money you've borrowed, more commonly referred to as interest, as well as a payment against the balance you've borrowed. Let's begin our analysis by doing a straight comparison for 25 years with some simple assumptions, and don't worry, we'll change a few of these later on. We have two brothers, we'll call them Owen the owner and Roger the renter. They each have $35,000 sitting in their bank accounts and have no debt for the time being, and the only difference is Owen wants to buy a house today and Roger wants to rent. They both live in Toronto. So to begin, they each have a net worth of $35,000. Let's start with Owen the owner. He wants to buy a $500,000 home. A 5% down payment is $25,000. That means he needs to borrow $475,000. Mortgage default insurance is $14,963. That gets added to his mortgage, so his starting mortgage balance is $489,963. The provincial land transfer tax is $6,475. In Toronto, there is an additional municipal land transfer tax, and this amount is $5,725. However, there are both provincial and municipal rebates available, which together provide $5,725 of tax relief. Provincial sales tax on the mortgage default insurance is $1,197. Legal fees might be $1,000. Title insurance might be $500. The home inspection fee is $500, and appraisal fees might be another $300. That's a total of $34,972. That basically eats up Owen the owner's $35,000 in cash. But now he has another asset, the house, worth $500,000 and a liability, the mortgage, worth $489,963. His new net worth is $10,037. Roger, the renter, doesn't really have any upfront costs. He just needs to find a place to rent and sign a lease. 
He finds out that the house next door is identical to the $500,000 house, but is renting for $2,100 per month. So at the beginning of year one, his net worth hasn't changed. It's still $35,000. Because of the large upfront costs associated with buying a home, Owen the owner's net worth is less than Roger the renter's once they get the keys to their new homes. Now we have to look at the ongoing cash flows. If Owen the owner can get a 3% fixed rate mortgage for a five-year term, his mortgage payment will be $2,318.73 per month. If we assume he budgets 1.25% of the home's value per year for maintenance and repairs, that's $520.83 per month to start. Property taxes in Toronto are 0.723% currently for a monthly cost of $301.25. Property insurance might start at $80 per month. Rounded to an even number, that gives Owen a total monthly cost of $3,220. Over the next 25 years, the interest rate on his mortgage may go up slightly for future five-year terms. Roger the renter only has to add another $20 per month to his total for renter's insurance, and he's good to go. His total monthly commitment at this point is $2,120 per month. We'll assume his rent increases every year with inflation. Now, to make for a mathematically apples-to-apples comparison, we need to factor Roger the renter committing the same cash flow per month to his overall situation. So we subtract Roger's monthly obligations of $2,120 from $3,220 to get $1,100. So Roger the renter will pay $2,120 per month for rent, and he could commit $1,100 per month to also buying an asset. In this case, that asset would be an investment portfolio. Let's fast forward 25 years and assume they are both leaving the country. Owen the owner sells his house and the gain is tax-free. Roger the renter has paid taxes on investment distributions all along and has a capital gain upon selling his entire portfolio. On an inflation-adjusted basis, what do their net worths look like now? Was renting really just a total waste? Well, a lot will depend on how fast housing and the portfolio grow over time. In a TD Economics report from 2013 titled Long-Run Rate of Return for Canadian Home Prices, they suggested 3.5% before inflation was the long-term growth rate for housing. They also put out a report in 2012 that looked at long-term returns for equity markets and suggested 7% was appropriate, with some caveats. Using these numbers to start, we find the following, using rounded, approximate numbers. For Owen the owner, his house is now worth $1,182,000. He has no mortgage left, so his liabilities are zero. To sell his house would cost $64,000 after tallying up a 5% realtor commission, GST, and legal fees. That leaves him with $1,118,000. Adjusted for inflation, his net worth is $681,000. Roger the renter's portfolio has grown to $1,025,000, and that's after subtracting the tax drag of distributions paid along the way. He had no mortgage to begin with, so his liabilities remain at zero. But upon sale of his portfolio, he has to pay tax on the capital gain of roughly $77,000, leaving him with $949,000. Adjusting for inflation, we get a final net worth of $578,000. So after 25 years, he's $100,000 behind Owen the owner. Now, we've just seen how renting doesn't necessarily mean you're throwing all your money away. If you're disciplined, you can increase your net worth over time too. 
But let's take a look at how changing just a few variables can dramatically change the results. What if Owen the owner moves a few times? He'll have transaction costs to sell his first house and then new costs to buy his second house. If he moves every 10 years, the costs will bring down his ending net worth to $553,000, which means Roger the renter would have actually had a higher net worth at the end of 25 years. Now, what if Roger the renter doesn't actually save as much as he should have? He might think he will save the full difference each year, but it's much easier to skip a voluntary contribution to a portfolio than it is to skip a mortgage payment. If Roger only manages to save 50% of the monthly difference between owning, his ending net worth drops to only $334,000. Or, what if his portfolio only grows by 5%, but he manages to save diligently? He still loses as he ends up with $445,000. As you can see, the variables, many of which are unknowable in advance, influence which strategy will ultimately work out best.